So if you will, grab a, a Bible or open a Bible, turn it on. That's something Jonathan Edwards never said. Uh, but open up to Luke chapter 1, and we're going to be starting in verse 39 when we get going today. In case you missed it last week, a, <clears throat> preaching through a, a book of the Bible, it's good that you kind of understand where we've come from. Uh, and so last week we learned about, uh, well, we learned about the Hail Mary football pass, uh, but we also learned about the, the angel Gabriel visiting Mary, uh, this very young and betrothed uh, virgin woman who was uh, betrothed to a man named Joseph, uh, and the angel told her that the Holy Spirit was going to conceive a child in her womb and that this child of hers, this son, was to be the Messiah that Israel has been waiting for since the fall of, of Adam in the garden. Uh, and so uh, their conversation then ends with Mary saying this, uh, this just endearing humility as Mary says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And so we're going to be picking up from that point right there in our passage today. Uh, this passage has been uh, historically referred to as the Magnificat, which has nothing to do with cats. Uh, it's from the Latin word that just means magnify. You'll, you'll see it in our passage when we get to uh, the second part of it where Mary is uh, actually speaking. Uh, so follow along. We're going to begin in, in verse 39 this morning. <clears throat> in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby in her leapt, leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for, leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades. <clears throat> Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, uh, many of us are familiar with the passage of Scripture that we're reading today. And we ask that our familiarity would not distract from its power from the truth of this passage. Would you enlighten our minds to understand it today and to, to live in response to it? Would you help us to approach it as, as it is, as, as something beyond cartoon Christmas stories, to, to see it as a significant moment in, in the history of the world? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Mary is, is so eager at this point to go and, and to talk to Elizabeth, to see her, to see all that Gabriel has said to her, that, that our text here tells us that she goes with, with haste. Uh, you know, she goes uh, immediately. She's, she's young, and you can imagine some conversation she had with her parents. Mom, Dad, I'm going to see Elizabeth. Bye. Out the door. Probably not quite like that. Uh, you, you know, you, you, you kind of wonder, did, did she tell her parents about Gabriel? Did she, what he had to say? Did she tell them what was going on? And, and you know, I, listen, I think our, our cousin Elizabeth is finally pregnant. I'm going to go see. Yeah, and you got to understand that also we, we tend to, to forget the context of these, uh, the world that they're living in. The distance from Nazareth to the hill country in Judah is, is about 100 miles, almost 100 miles. That, that's the equivalent that if you walked out the door right here and you were to head over to the city of Lawrence. Now, I don't know why you do that, but if you did that, it would be the same distance. So most likely she traveled by, by foot. Most likely she traveled in, with a group of people, at least the majority of the way. That was uh, how it was typically done. It was a huge undertaking, though. I, I know that today, if, if we were to, to go to Lawrence, we would hop in a car and we could be there in a little over an hour. 
uh, if you break the law a little under the hour. But uh, for them in this time period, we're talking of four to five days of travel by foot. Finding places to sleep at night, finding food along the way. It's a huge endeavor. But eventually she finds her way there and she enters into the home of her cousin. And can you imagine just the embrace of these two women? You see, what we see in our passage here is, is true fellowship, true fellowship. And as we work through this, I want you to pay attention to the conversation of these two women because it's not just how is the weather it's not just compliments about you know her earrings you know where'd you get those are those from noonday they're beautiful anything like that i mean sure i'm sure those conversations happen it's not to say those are bad and maybe they weren't recorded here but and they're fine conversations they have but but that they also have these real conversations and we see those these conversations about god and it's at that point of hanging out where they're actually discussing their, their spiritual life. They're actually discussing the Lord that, that hanging out actually becomes true and actual fellowship. And so, so listen, these women needed this time together. They needed these conversations. They, they needed the encouragement that they could offer to each other in this moment. And, and I'll, I'll tell you this, so do you, so do I. We, we live in this world today where, where quite frankly, we, there's no place that we would walk five days, right? It, it, we can get anywhere we want in five minutes just about as far as our, our, our realm in this town. You know, we don't have to walk five days to fellowship with a brother or sister in Christ. And, and yet, if we're honest, we find it very tough to find time. And it's not like, hey, I hear this guilt, but it is tough sometimes. We, we keep our lives busy. But listen, church, let me encourage you, please do seek out true fellowship with each other because you look around this room and these are people that 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 you have a shared faith in the lord jesus christ with and that's an amazing thing when we're living in a world that is overwhelmingly faithless Uh, so go to coffee and ask and answer questions yes ask all those dumb shallow questions that we hate right how's the weather how's your week what's you know all those kind of things but but also start to ask some real questions you know, how's your relationship with the Lord? And that'll be incredibly awkward the first time you ask it, but do it. That's the way we start to get past that. You know, what, what are you grateful to God for right now? What's the most interesting thing that God has taught you lately? How's your marriage? What, what's the biggest weight on your shoulders today? Ask these questions. If someone really doesn't want to answer, they'll, they'll blow you off real quick. But, but I encourage you also to answer. Share these things. And then when you receive this information, you know, prove that you're a safe place by, by not sharing with anyone else what they've shared with you, by encouraging them, by praying with them and for them. And I, and I say this because we really do need fellowship, whether, whether we are facing a time in life where we are facing grief or whether we are in a time of life where we are rejoicing, we need it either way. There was a, a pastor in the late early 1700s, rather, named Joseph Hall, and he said this. He said, grief grows greater by concealing joy by expression fellowship will lighten your grief grief but it will expand your joy so i imagine these these two women talked about various scripture and the anticipation of what it means to be a mother that they were soon to become and they prayed together and so seriously seek out this sort of encouragement so then elizabeth is six months into her pregnancy at at six months i i explained this for you know i wouldn't have known this stuff um at six months, so her son is about the length of an ear of corn. 
I don't know why we compare children to uh, fruit, but that seems to be the thing to do nowadays. Uh, but an heir of corn weighs about a pound and a half. He looks like a miniature newborn, an actual miniature newborn with eyes that had just been recently opened. This baby would have had actual fingerprints and toe prints. He was kicking, he was stretching. And in this moment, in the case of John the Baptist, he is leaping for joy. You know, that's another reason to believe that John and his mother, mother's womb, just like all babies, is not, not just some potential person, but an actual person. And even here we see this, this feeling, expressing feeling and expressing joy. And, and so in this moment then begins this prophetic ministry of John the Baptist. This, this prophetic ministry of preparing the way of the Lord Jesus. And uh, who at this moment, if you understand the, the time period here, uh, Jesus is actually just a mere zygote in, in Mary's womb. And John's response was one of a kind. It's, it's as Gabriel said in Luke 1.15. I don't know if you remember that, but last time we were there, uh, that John is filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And so that's incredibly unique in the history of the world because John's in the womb. But, but this sort of joy, the, it, it's, it's also a common experience that all people have when, when they finally come to realize that Jesus is indeed the Christ, the Messiah, our, our glorious Savior. That expression of joy. So I'll tell you, when my wife was pregnant uh, with our first child, and uh, we were living in Dallas at the time, and we went to an FC Dallas soccer game, and, and the guy to her right turned to her, and this is still fairly early on in her pregnancy, and asked her, are you pregnant? His wife was bug-eyed at this point and began hitting him immediately, and she said with these clenched teeth, you cannot ask a woman that. And throughout the game, he would continue to lean over and, and, and tell her, my wife's still screaming at me for asking you that. Now, he was right. Um, right you know, it was risky, and he was right. And in our passage here, though, when, when Mary isn't showing at this point, and when, when Elizabeth isn't guessing whether she's pregnant, she actually knows it at this point. And the reason is because just like her son is filled with the Holy Spirit at this moment, and in verse 41, it tells us that indeed uh, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And while she's filled with the Holy Spirit, she speaks this, this prophecy. And in the, in the way our, our text says it, says that it, was a, it compares it to a loud cry. She, she's crying out in this emotional expression. There are uh, most likely tears in her eyes because she is so overwhelmed at what the Lord is doing. And Elizabeth says this, she says, <clears throat> Blessed are you among women, and, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. It's beautiful. There's a few things here I want you to, to notice. First, Mary is, is blessed, right? And, and the reason she is blessed, we, we see later there in the, in the tail end of that, is because of the fruit of her womb, because of Christ. That's the blessing of the Lord on her. Second, Elizabeth refers to Mary as, as the mother of my Lord. This is a, uh, an allusion pointing back to uh, one of the Psalms, 110, I believe. Uh, but, but in this moment, I want you to see something, something unique here. In this moment, Elizabeth is the first person to confess faith in Jesus properly. This is also how we desire to see everyone respond to Christ. 
by confessing him as Lord and by rejoicing in, in his greatness. That's what we see Elizabeth doing here. It's, a, it's actually really similar. Her confession is similar to Peter's confession in Mark 8, 29. After, after Jesus asked Peter, and, and, but who do you say that I am? And do you remember Peter's response? He says, you are the Christ. You are the Christ. Elizabeth, through the work of the Spirit here, sees that as well. Third, and we're going to talk about humility later, but I just want you to notice that here, that the humility of Elizabeth in verse 43, as she's asking this question, why is this granted to me? Right? That's not the kind of question of just, you know, give me a few lists here. I really want to know. It's the question of an emotional expression. I can't understand why you would be so good to me in this moment. And, and isn't that the thought of every one of us as well? As, as we realize, we, we come to this understanding that the faith that we have was granted to us by the Lord. Why, Lord? Why, why is this granted to me? Fourth thing to see here, Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah, he was still rendered mute and unable to speak. And, and you kind of wonder, was he there listening to this? He's not mentioned, so we can't know for sure. But, but the words of Elizabeth that she speaks here, they're very purposeful. And, they, and there's this contrast here between the unbelief of Zechariah that we saw before and the absolute belief of Mary. If you remember, Luke is, is not just writing this into a, you know, to be published widely. That's not his first, first intention. His first intention is that he's writing to a man named Theophilus and he wants to encourage this man. And, and in this moment, he's encouraging him, don't unbelieve like Zechariah, but, but believe like Mary. That's the encouragement. That's the encouragement to each one of us as well to, to believe. And, and not just to believe in something, but in the Lord, in his word. And then after that, we, we see Elizabeth, after Elizabeth, Mary, Mary speaks. And her, her words follow this, this pattern that we see in the Psalms over and over again. These, these Psalms that we call Thanksgiving Psalms. Uh, she expresses this gratitude to God. And, and then she tells them all these details. Here's why I'm grateful. Here's why I'm thankful. Uh, and, and goes into this, this depth there. And this is the pattern that every one of us should and you know, ought to and can pick up for our own lives. We, we're more inclined, though, if we're honest, to do the exact opposite, to say something like, I can't stand this, and here's all the reasons I can't stand this. That, that's our sinful heart's inclination to, to go after, and yet this model is, is one we see throughout the Psalms. It's a model we're seeing in, in, in Elizabeth here and Mary here, and, and I just want to encourage you to, towards it. But, but again, the, the, the better model that we're talking about here is to thank God for being God and, and then begin to explore the reasons that you are grateful to the Lord. You, you, you might thank God for your job your spouse, for your church, for your friends, for, for some time you had with someone, the stage of life you're in, the, the season that happens to be, the, whatever it might be. You begin to express that, and then you start to dig deeper. You, you start to excavate all the reasons why you are thankful for those things. And I say this because this process will help us develop a heart of gratitude. It'll help us develop that mindset that should characterize us as, as God's children, as those who are also filled with the Holy Spirit. So you may notice Mary's words are in the form of a poem. We haven't read them yet. We will in just a moment, which, you know, if your Bible's like mine, single column, you'll see the, the poetry laid out real well. Uh, and it really shouldn't surprise us because poetry is, is better suited for this emotional expression than, than mere prose. 
That's an opinion for sure, but I believe so. Uh, but even way, even if you don't like poetry, if you're the kind of person that just thinks poetry, glaze over, forget this, I hate poetry, um, you, you've got to at least admit this, that, that poetry does something wonderful. It slows us down in our reading, and it forces us to contemplate what in the world is this talking about. It forces us to read in a way that is just different than, than prose, than just normal writing. And here Mary is, uh, begins by expressing her feelings. Um, you might say she's, she's in her feelings. And if you don't get that, good for you. Um, and then she gives these personal reasons for, for feeling, uh, feelings of gratitude. And then the rest of what Mary says is going to be these general reasons to worship God uh, and, and all about what God has done and, and stuff. So follow along. We're going to read again in verse 46, this, the second part. Uh, this is Mary's speech. And Mary says... My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estates. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. He has spoken to our fathers, to Abraham, and and to his offspring forever. Isn't that beautiful? We see she uses that term soul and spirit and, uh, in the same verse there to start. It, it simply means in this context just the, the deep center of her being, all that she is. And this moment, her, her soul is, is aware and feels the awesomeness of God. And her heart just explodes in jubilation. My soul magnifies the Lord. Magnifies. Uh, John Piper has a, a helpful illustration for the word magnify in Scripture. You'll, you'll see it often in the Psalms as well. There's, there's two ways that we actually magnify things, a, a microscope and a telescope. And a microscope takes little bitty tiny things and magnifies them so that they're bigger than they actually are so that you can look at them. But a, a telescope does, does kind of the opposite. The telescope uh, makes things that are huge, talking planets and suns and galaxies, huge things, and and magnifies them so that they are as big as they really actually are. And, and we magnify God not like a microscope. We magnify him like a telescope because the God doesn't get any bigger than he is. But our, our view of God, our understanding of God can be expanded. Our awe and amazement of him can be expanded as we, we see that God is big and wonderful and just how holy and truly amazing he is. I'll tell you, in, in my own Christian walk, there was a, uh, many years where I, I fought against the idea of God's sovereignty. I, I couldn't stand it. I absolutely hated it. It was one of the most frustrating things. When I'd meet people that believed that, it was the quickest thing. I'd write them off as idiots. Um, that was my mindset. But I'll never forget when God finally opened my, my, my reluctant eyes to see his sovereignty. And suddenly I saw it in every book of the Bible. Suddenly I I saw God working in every step of my life and and my view of God was expanded. God didn't change, but my view changed. And and my view was expanded and my sense of awe at God redeeming me was just absolutely overwhelming. 
And in that moment, I can remember my soul was just exploding in this gratitude, like, like Mary is here, not, not understanding why this goodness, God, why this goodness. The, the author of Psalm 69, verse 30, understood how gratitude leads us, just pushes us, fuels us into praise for God. When, when he wrote this, he said, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. You see, a, a grateful soul magnifies the Lord. And that's why there's this encouragement. Take time, slow down, ponder all the reasons you have to be grateful to the Lord. So in verse 48, then, as Mary moves on, she says, God has looked at the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Now, I'll, I'll tell you, when I read that this week, my first thought was, was do we call Mary blessed? And this kind of ties back to last week, but we have all these hang-ups about who Mary is because of what we've seen the Roman Catholic Church about, say about her that, that I don't know that we do as Protestants. I mean, how many of you ever referred to as the Blessed Virgin Mary? Or does that scare you when you hear that? And yet, here we're, we're seeing here this, 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 this statement here that all the generations shall call me blessed. That's, that's us. And so if we don't do that, we, we ought to. And I suggest we actually use that title, the Blessed Virgin Mary. And, and by that, we ought to mean only what Scripture teaches us, that she was blessed by the Lord, that God's grace was shown to her. And then at the end of verse, verse 49 and 50, uh, Mary says this. She says, Holy is His name, and His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. I was... I uh, will listen to podcasts sometimes when I'm jogging. I was listening to D.A. Carson earlier this week, and he, he pointed out that, it, that past generations, I found this interesting, past generations um, had no problem believing that God was holy. There was no one questioned that at all. But, but they really struggled at times to believe whether, whether God was loving. And, and he was pointing out that in our current generation, we, we have no problem believing that God is love, that He is loving. We might have weird ideas, obscure ideas of what it means to love, but we have no problem believing that. But, but we do believe, have a problem believing that God is holy. Truly set apart and uniquely holy. And that's a big deal because the holiness of God is the attribute that best defines God's essence. And unfortunately, a failure to understand God is holy leads us to a, to a great lack of fear of God. And when Scripture says fear, understand this, right? We, we can get so confused about fear, but it's not the kind of fear that you have that someone intends to do evil to you or intends to harm you. It's, it's fear that leads to reverence, fear that leads to absolute awe at who God is. And the lack of fear of God is a problem because look at, your, look at the text before you. Look at verse 50. What do you see there that God gives to those who fear Him? If you've got it open, just say it out loud. Mercy, right? Mercy. His mercy is for those who fear Him. So here's why. If we cannot see that God is holy, we will not understand that we are not. And we've got to understand that, okay? So, so looking at God's holiness, it, it's like the tissue test, if you've ever heard of that. You might think, you know, my teeth are reasonably white when you look into the mirror. And they are, right? Until you hold up a white tissue next to them and suddenly you realize, oh wow, that's what true white looks like. My teeth are not white. See, that's our response to the holiness of God when we, when we really understand it. We look at God's holiness, and then suddenly we look at ourselves and we think, oh, wow. 
So this is what true holiness looks like. I am not holy. And until a person knows that they are unholy, they will not be seeking the mercy of God, which is received freely in the gospel. So that's the the beauty of really understanding the holiness of God, of, of really finding ourselves fearing God in the way that Scripture uses that word. So let's keep going. Um, You notice in verse 51, something weird happens there. Mary suddenly switches from using the present tense to using the past tense. In some aspects, she is remembering God's past, uh, the past where God has done things. But she's also being carried along to the Spirit here so that she is stating things that God is going to do for his people in the future. And God's plan for the future is so certain that it it can be actually said in the past tense. For instance, Verse 51 there, Mary prophesies of God saying, He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. In the past, God has indeed shown his strength to his people. He has crushed the hearts of the proud. You might think of uh, little David as he defeats uh, the giant Goliath. You might think of uh, when the Israelites defeat uh, Pharaoh, or God actually defeats Pharaoh for the, the Israelites in Egypt. Uh, And and yet God is teaching us here through Mary's word that this glorious child in her womb will show his strength in an ultimate way, in a way that conquers sin, that that shatters the proud of every age. Jesus is absolutely turning all the values of the world upside down. Later in this this gospel, in the gospel of Luke chapter 14, uh, verse 11, Jesus will be teaching us and saying, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Martin Lloyd-Jones once wrote this in a similar way. He says, everything that man boasts in, his intellect, his understanding, his power, his social status, his influence, his righteousness, his morality, his ethics, his code, every one of them is utterly demolished by the Son of God. Meaning these aren't things you can hold this, this place of pride in. Every one of them is, is worthless when it comes to, to standing before the Lord righteous. And the prophet Daniel said it like this in Daniel 4.37. He said, those who walk in pride, God is able to humble. See, we see the high value of humility throughout this entire passage today. In verse 52, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble state. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. How many of you hear that and you think, oh, am I rich? Because that's terrifying. Um, you are rich, I know, because you live in this country, but, but I do want you to understand that when verse 53 speaks of the rich, and this isn't a condemnation on having wealth. Rather, it's a condemnation on, on a type of prideful person who values their wealth more than God, more than, than they can use that wealth for, uh, for a tool for the glory of God in, in the Lord's service. So it's talking about a specific type of person here. The final two verses of our passage Um, of these inspired words of Mary connect the time of fulfillment back to the promise of the covenant that God made with Abraham. We'll see this in greater detail in a few weeks, but uh, God has always seen his people. He's always known us. He's always been able to see that his people are needy people, that his people are sinners who can't save themselves, and so he provides what we simply cannot. He provides a savior, provides forgiveness, he provides an eternal home for us. He provides a heavenly father for us. That's the, the glory of what the Lord's doing here. So before we finish up, I, I want to help you observe two, two little aspects here in this passage. Uh, and, and then we'll be done. First, 
While Mary likely had no formal education, one of the things that becomes very clear here is that she knew her Bible well. Very well. She is so saturated with God's word that her, from her lips just, just drip like honey. Uh, you know, her, rather, scripture drips from her lips like honey from an overflown uh, honeycomb. It just soaks out of her. You see, Mary isn't finding these words in some intellectual volume either. You see, in this, in this moment, Mary's a bit like a freestyle rapper, not in her style, but in the fact that she is drawing from what she knows uh, as she is carried along by the Holy Spirit. As she's carried along to write this beautiful poetry that ties into so many Old Testament passages. It, it would take us all day to do it, but these ten verses here, in these, just these 10 verses of Mary, she either quotes exactly or alludes to passages in 11 different Old Testament books. It is this constant way that she just talks and Scripture just flows out of her. In other words, the Old Testament Scriptures have, have become a song in her heart as she expresses this joy to the Lord. And, and listen, all the Scriptures, the Old and the New Testaments, both can be a song in the heart of each and every one of us. But that means we've got to marinate our souls in this living book. It means we've got to understand what's in here. It means we've got to spend time in that. That's a difficult thing for us, I think. I, I know in concept it's simple, but finding time to slow down and just read Scripture. You're going to find times you're bored. You're going to think things you don't understand. But that's, that's one of those things we, we push through and we learn and we try to understand it and we look for answers. So anyway, though, um, when we do that, our, our feelings, our thoughts, our joy, all of these things can just like Mary be expressed in this language of Scripture like she does it. So one more observation of this passage today, and that's just the, the beauty of humility and the economy of God. I know I've, I've already mentioned it, but there's two aspects of humility here in this passage that I want to talk about. The first is general, and the second is how it you know, works out in regards to worship. And in general, we've seen that God is decidedly against the prideful. That should mean something to us. We, we, we see it so clear, but he is, he is for the humble. I, I could spend a long time making this point by quoting Scripture after Scripture. I'll give you just one that's so incredibly clear that you probably don't need another one. James 4, 6 God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You see, prideful people are careless people. They care less of others. They care less of what God desires of them. They care less of the information shared with them by others. That, that's because they're so impressed with themselves that they just don't think about others. But humble men and women are care more people. Which unfortunately is not a word in our, our definition, in our culture. I, I know that because my spell check did that annoying thing where it's kept trying to change the word. And you're like, no, I mean this. Stop changing it. Um, it really should be a word in our culture, though. I mean, wouldn't it be a great phrase? We're like, that, that Betty, she is such a care more person as a way to describe someone. And what I mean is, is, is that humble Christians, you know, care more about the will of their God. They care more about the glory of the Lord and, and more about how, how they use information others share with them to, to care and, and to encourage these people. In our passage today, there, these two wonderful women are, are most certainly, without a doubt, care more people. They meet each other and they both rejoice in the goodness of God to the other one. 
They, they remain humble even as they are given this great privilege. This, this privilege of one to be the mother of the greatest of all prophets and the privilege of the other to be the greatest of, of all. The savior of the world. So the other aspect of humility is the way that it applies to worship. And, and understand this, we, we certainly should and do praise God for what he's done for us. Mary does it in this passage. We do it often and through song. But, but if we're not careful, our, our worship today can become mostly self-centered. We're, we're just about everything out of our mouth in worship equates to something like, isn't God amazing because he loves me? That, that's the defining character of why God's amazing. That, that God loves us is, is a good thing to know. It is, but, but, but if we begin, always begin with God loves me, then we're going to build this view of God and, and this view of redemption with ourselves as the absolute center. And so it's a, it's a nuance, but an important nuance that, that we begin with God in the center and we worship God for who he is. And, and so maybe what we say is something more along the lines of, isn't God amazing? He is holy. He is completely and utterly holy. Or isn't God amazing? He is powerful. He is mighty. He is good. He is awe-inspiring. And also, for some reason, He loves me. And so then Christians, take some time to honestly ask yourself this as we're working through this. Am I a humble person? I'm not saying go and ask other people this. You'll probably get different answers from everybody. But to ask this question yourself, am I growing in my humility... And whether you are or you aren't, ask the Lord for that. Seek after a heart of humility. I'll give you two quick quotes here. Uh, J.C. Ryle once wrote this. He said, Humility is the highest grace that can adorn the Christian character. And Augustine, who we typically know as St. Augustine, likewise wrote this. He said, For those who would learn God's ways, humility is the first thing. Humility is the second thing. And humility is the third thing. So we'll, we'll stop right here, but uh, the picture going on here is, is Mary's going to stick around for three more months. I imagine if I walked anywhere and it took me five days to get there, I'd stick around that long too. Um, my, my hope for us today, though, is that, that like Mary, we might genuinely say that, that phrase out of her, her, her mouth. My, my soul magnifies the Lord. And listen, the question is, how do we ultimately do that? We do it like this. We wake every day. And we awake every day with a grateful heart. And we remember our humble estate, our great need of a Savior. And in looking to Jesus, we relax. We rest in the mercy of God who provides everything we need. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, For everyone else here is like me at all, we are natural complainers. We ask that you stop our mouths from complaining and renew the wonder that we have, renew our gratitude that we have because you have opened our eyes to know you. Lord, set us on the path to find our, our hope, not in our strength, not in the gifts you've given us, not in our own plans, but in the Lord Jesus who will one day make all things new as your covenant promise is completely fulfilled. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.